Father, uh, you're going to give us such, such a blessing today through your word to, to just realize just how important we are to you, just how of much value we are to you, and Lord, of how much value our inheritance is that we have in you. Lord, there's just so much uh, encouraging news here in this text. I, I just ask that, Lord, you just uh, make everyone attentive today, that, that you uh, open their hearts to hear what your spirit would say. Lord, if there's someone here who hasn't made that choice to make Jesus Christ their Savior, if they don't know for real that, that he's living in their hearts, Lord, in their soul, if they don't know that, if they don't have the living hope that we're going to be talking about today, I just ask that you speak to them in a special way today because, Lord, what they'll find out if they make that choice, they'll find out that they were chosen by you before the foundation of the world and, and that hope will become real. So we just ask especially for those who don't know you today, Lord, that this would be the day of their salvation. Lord, for all the rest of us who are born again, I just, again, just ask you to take these encouraging words and and uh, plant them deep in our heart and, and uh, help us to go through what looks like some really difficult times on the horizon, Lord, and, and help us to pre prepare for that through, through the encouragement of your word. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. In their book, A Meaningful Wor World, Ben Weicker and Jonathan Wick make a very witty case against the materialistic, humanistic worldview that permeates the world in which we live. Uh, this worldview that says that uh, nature is what it is because of chance, that everything is meaningless, that your life is meaningless, that you're meaningless. That's really what the world teaches. That's the pervading worldview today. And so this is a really good book. You get a chance to read it. It's, again, it's called A Meaningful World by uh, Ben Weicker and Jonathan Witt. And they use what's known as a cosmological argument to refute or come against this worldview. Now, if you don't know what a, most of you know what a cosmological argument is, but, but basically what that is, that every effect has a cause. Uh, every... Uh, Creation has a creator. And so if there's a creation, then there has to be a creator, an intelligent designer. And, and, and that's part of the basis of, of uh, what they uh, present in their book. But basically, their argument is this. They use this cosmological argument. That's a, since a human mind can distinguish between meaningful and meaningless, there must be an intelligent cause of that distinction. The very fact that you can distinguish between what's meaningful and meaningless means you must have been created to be able to do that. Uh, you know, you just think about it. We're created in a way that we distinguish between what's beautiful and what's ugly. Beautiful? No. <laughs> ugly? <laughs> You can make that uh, choice. You can distinguish that. If you want to be right, then you would land on the beautiful side. 
We can distinguish between moral and immoral, between what's good and what's bad. And as C.S. Lewis said, beauty and morality and meaning uh, and value do not fit into the idea of the survival of the fittest. I mean, if we're nothing but animals, then there is no meaning, there is no beauty. There is no good or bad. It's whatever you choose uh, to be good and bad. And, and so everything's evolving, and that's what we're kind of taught in this world. But as C.S. Lewis says, none of that fits. And in one of the chapters of Witz and Weicker's book, they present Shakespeare as evidence that we, as human beings, were created to search for meaning and to communicate meaning. If you've ever read Shakespeare, isn't that what he's doing throughout his works? He's trying to, 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 he's searching for meaning, and at the same time, he's communicating meaning. And, and, and so we had to be created to, to do things like Shakespeare or to write things like Shakespeare wrote. Well, the evolutionists would, would present the classic argument against that. You know what the classic argument is, that if you were to put a monkey uh, at a typewriter for a million years, and he would peck away at that typewriter, then eventually he would come up with works equal to or greater than Shakespeare. That's what the evolutionists believe. That's really their premise behind what they believe. But Weicker and Witt have the perfect comeback to that. They, and, and common sense tells us this. And the reason we have common sense tells us that we have a creator. Because as Weicker says, a monkey has no innate desire to create or discover meaning. And they use a very humorous illustration uh, based upon uh, some research done at Plymouth University. By the way, this is where your taxpayer money goes to, but <laughs> at Plymouth University in, in 2002, they did a study and they took five monkeys and they put them in a cage for six months with nothing but a keyboard. That's all they had. And the monkeys pecked away and they didn't come up with anything for six months. In fact, the researchers said in the experiment about all they came up with, all, what they'd like to do was some, for some reason was they hit the S button all the time. But, but they go on and listen to what they say, and I'm reading from the book. With an with a eye attuned to essentials, researcher Mike Phillips noted, they sure press a lot of S's. As it turns out, the monkeys Elmo, Gum, Holly, Mistletoe, and Rowan seem less interested in leaving their mark on literature than, on, than their marks on the computer. Rather than sitting down at the computer and typing Shakespeare-like literature, the lead male got a stone and started beating the you-know-what out of it. The other thing they were most interested in doing was defecating and urinating all over the keyboard. <laughs> and that brings uh, the conclusion of the author. Uh, is, I mean, the author concludes from their research, this is what they say. He said, this poses the question that they should have asked before the experiment began. Are monkeys the kind of things that by nature would stay bent over a keyboard seized by a worth ethic that would make them peck away at a, at a keyboard for a million years? No, they're not. They're not. The obvious answer to that question is no, because they have no innate desire to find meaning, and they have no innate desire to communicate meaning. They weren't created to communicate meaning. They weren't created to discover meaning. And the, the rest of the book, the authors use the case of 
DNA and biology and periodic tables and astronomy and geometry and history and so on to make the point that everything in this universe has a design and it has a designer. A designer who gives us meaning, who gives history meaning, it, to give us, he gives us value. He gives us heavenly value. See, that's exactly what Peter's trying to communicate. He searched for meaning. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's communicating that meaning. And he's trying to show us that we have value, that we have meaning, that our life has meaning. You think you have meaning? Well, well, well go with me. Let's go back to where we were at last time and look back in verse number 2 of chapter 1. You are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That means that God all along, uh, all along, uh, knew that we would become his children. When did he know it? When did he know it? We looked at it last week in Ephesians chapter 1. When did he know that you would become his child? Before the foundation of the world, he knew it. Before he created the world, he knew that you would be his child. And so, so he knew that you would be chosen to be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, the blood that makes us pure and holy and allows us to draw near to God, the blood that allows us to receive the Spirit of God so that we can be sanctified. Look at verse number 2. In the sanctification of the Spirit so that we can be obedient to God. That's the only way that we can be obedient to God. And it comes through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ and every bit of this is grace. And so he shouts out this praise, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then, and then we come to verse number three, and that's our, our, we, where we begin our text for today. And listen to what he says in verse number three. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. What's it mean to be begotten again? To be, he has born us again. He has begotten us again. You were born from, from your mother's womb, and now God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now he begins that verse, and he says something very profound right there. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed. What's the word blessed mean in the Greek? It means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying right there? What he's saying is this. You know what makes the Lord happy? You know what has made the Lord happy? To choose you before the foundation of the world to be his child. That's what makes him happy. To, so that he's happy because you're his adopted child. You know what? The devil beats us up all the time. And he wants us to get this idea that God is put out with us. That he is just sick and tired of us. You know what? We get sick and tired of ourselves, don't we? We get sick and tired of our, our evil ways. We get sick and tired of our tempers. We get sick and tired of our bitterness. We get sick and tired of our depression. And we get to thinking God feels that way about us. But God doesn't feel that way about you at all. You know what God feels about you? 
He is oh so happy that he adopted you as his child. And, and he's been able to bless you. And how much has he blessed you? According to his abundant mercy. Not according to your goodness. Not according to your good looks or bad looks or anything you do or say, but according to his abundant mercy. Not according, do you catch that? According to his abundant mercy. I mean, let me see if I can explain that, what that abundant mercy, or make a comparison so you can see what, how important that abundant mercy is. If I were a millionaire and I were to give you a dollar, I would be giving you that dollar from my wealth. But if I were a millionaire and I was to give you $200,000, I would be giving you that money according to my wealth. He has blessed you according to his abundant mercy. Abundant mercy. He's, a, he's blessed you according to his infinite wealth. And he's made you of infinite value. And what has he blessed you with? He has begotten you. He has born you again according to his abundant mercy. He's made you of heavenly value. He's blessed you with an abundance of the greatest thing he has to give. The greatest thing he has to give is the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, the eternal life of Jesus Christ, his life. That's what he's blessed us with. And that is our living hope. You catch that? It's not a hope. I wish, man, I wish, I go, I wish I'm going to go to heaven. I wish one day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, things are going to work out and, and I'm going to make it to heaven. I wish I could have a relationship with the Lord. I wish I could have a hope. No, it's not hopeful, wishful thinking. It's a living hope. It's a living hope. Why is it a living hope? Because Christ lives in you. And if Christ lives in you, then your hope is alive. And you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is alive in you. You know that you've been born again. Let me tell you something. If you don't know that, if all you have is hope and some facts about Jesus Christ, some historical facts about Jesus Christ, you're not born again. And I'm not saying that to judge you. I'm telling you that so that you need to do the right thing. And what you need to do, you need to give yourself to the Lord. And so that Christ, so that you receive Christ on one basis. What's the basis of receiving Jesus Christ? The cross, his blood, not anything you have to offer. And that's the only way you can come to Christ. And if you've come to Christ, in that way, then you've received Jesus Christ and you have a living hope. He's alive in you. And you guys are looking so down here. Man, this is, I mean, is he alive in you? How many believe he's alive in you? Amen, brother. Amen. I mean, get it. Come on. This is good stuff. So go to verse four. I mean, listen to what he says in verse number four. And here's what I want you to see. See, who was Peter writing to? He was writing to a group of people who were going through terrible persecution. Terrible persecution. And some of them were going to go through it like champions, and some of them were going to fail. And so he writes this letter to them to encourage them that no matter how you handle this persecution, 
No matter how you handle all the temptations that come against you from the devil and the world and the flesh, you've got something. You're of heavenly value, and that can't be taken away. You fail, you still have it. Listen to what he says. To an inheritance that if you do this and you do this and you hang on, you'll have. Listen to what he says. It doesn't say that, does it? It says to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that, and that does not fade away. Where is it reserved for you on this earth? It's reserved for you in heaven. It's reserved for you in heaven. Who's in charge of reserving it? The angels? No. God is the one who reserved it for you in heaven. When did he reserve it for you in heaven? When he chose you before the foundation of the world. Can it be taken away if he's reserved it for you in heaven? Who can come to heaven and take it away from God? Nobody. So it's, it's incorruptible. It's an inheritance. What's your inheritance? It's the crown of life. It's your salvation. That's your inheritance. It's the abundant mercy that God showed to you when he gave you the living hope, when he begot you into the kingdom of God, when he made you a child of God. And if you really have that living hope, now if you don't know that you have that living hope, you probably don't have it. But if you have that living hope, it is incorruptible. It can't fade away. It's reserved for you in heaven. And no matter what you go through, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it. Because that hope was reserved for you before the foundation of the world. Amen? Amen, Amen right? You know, I saw something happen yesterday. Anthony Scalia, I, you know, I'm not so conservative that I think that Anthony Scalia is some great man of God or something. I don't believe that. But he was a conservative American. And he died yesterday. Do you understand what's going to happen to this country if you get another Ginsburg on the court? And I hate to name names. But you won't have. If, if they decide, if, if, if the president decides that we need to shut this church down, they got the five to four vote now to shut it down. You understand where this is all headed? You understand the dark clouds that are brewing over this country and over this world? And that's not a Democrat or Republic thing. I'm not saying that at all. But the devil is coming after our freedoms. He's coming after the church. But you know what? You don't have to worry about that. Because your inheritance has been reserved for you in heaven before the foundation of the Lord world and no matter what happens the Lord's got your back and you're going to make it through this because look what he says in the next few verses he says who are kept by the power of God how does how do how do I know you're going to make it how do I know you're not going to lose it if you've got that living hope in you because you're not kept by your own power you're kept by the power of God through faith Uh uh-oh through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. God's already seen it. He's already seen you in glory. And one day, your salvation, when we all are up in heaven, is going to be revealed, and you're going to be, see yourself as glorified in Jesus Christ. But we're kept by the power of Jesus Christ. We're not kept by our own power. So here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, yes. You're going through a tough time. 
Yes, you've been grieved because, you know, you've failed or you've faltered. You know, it grieves me when I fail the Lord. It grieves me when I fall. And Peter says, yes, you know, you've gone, you've gone through some really tough t- things. And, 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 and yes, you might say, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting me go through this? And you question God. Because you question God, are you going to lose your inheritance? No. You know what? I believe that people that don't question God, I kind of question if they even have the inheritance. If you have a real relationship with somebody, I mean, if, you, if your wife slaps you around, you're going to ask her why, you know? I mean, if God's slapping you around, you're going to say, you're not going to say, oh, great, hit me some more. Unless you're a fool, you won't, you know, you're going to say, you're going to say, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Yes, you're going to question God at times. Yes, you're going to think you've lost your salvation. The devil's going to come at you. You've lost it. Look at you, what you said to to them. Look at what you did. You've lost it. But you haven't lost it. Peter's saying, don't worry. Don't grieve. Don't don't fret. Because you're not kept by your own power. You're kept by the power of God. And all you need, you need one thing. One thing. What do you need? Faith. That's the one thing that he says, because you're kept by the power of God through faith. Now, up until now, Peter's been on this election kick. And I kind of favor that, and I like that. Uh, But now he's going to switch gears. And he's going to talk about our choice. But you know what? Election and choice go hand in hand. They actually form a perfect paradox, a perfect paradox, an infinite paradox that, that let me say, almost this perfect circle. That's really what faith and choice are. They're this perfect, infinite circle. Let me see if I can explain. Go back with me to where we were last time. Remember, we went back to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to go back to that passage that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1. And drop down, drop down to verse number 4. That's what, that's what we looked at last time. And here's that great passage. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Is that election? Man, that's election. Is that election? Yes. Amen, that's election. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Do you understand what that means? That before the foundation of the world that God chose you to be holy and without blame forever? Did you know he chose you for that? That's election. You can't tell me that's not election. Chose means you were elected. Now, here's that word, having predestined. What's predestined? Election. Election. Having predestined us to the adoption of sons and daughters. When did he predestine us to be adopted as a son and daughter? Before the foundation of the world. Pretty good news, isn't it? If you've been chosen. If you haven't been chosen, that that might not be such good news. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons of by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, not of works, 
Not of works, you were elected, you were chosen, which he made us accepted. What did you do there? Nothing. He made us accepted. When did he make us accepted? When he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know, I was born again on August the 23rd, 1989, but I was chosen before the foundation of the world. Pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? And good thing I was chosen. Because those things I was doing before August the 23rd, 1989, could have gotten me killed. And I would have gone straight to hell, let me tell you, real fast. But I was chosen. And so God protected me. He made, he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have, for, for, have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Not anything that we do, we were chosen which he made us to abound. He made abound to us all in all wisdom and prudence. He did that. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now jump down to verse number 11. In him we have attained an inheritance being what? Predestined. How did you get your inheritance? You were chosen to get your inheritance. Predestined, predestined, chosen, 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 predestined, chosen, chosen, chosen. Uh, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first, not, oh, here comes the choice. Trusted. Wait a minute. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. But he says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. I wouldn't be to the praise of his glory if I hadn't trusted. In him you also trusted. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your inheritance, in whom having believed. You catch that? You had to believe. And until you were believed, that's what I said on August the 23rd, 1989, I believed and I received the Holy Spirit of God. Whatever your date is, you know when that is, you received the Holy Spirit of God. So you made a choice, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I was chosen before the foundation of the world, but I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise on August the 23rd, 1989. Which is it, God? Is it choice or is it election? Yes, both. Do you know why you believed and why I believed? Because I was chosen before the foundation of the world. Do you know why I was chosen before the foundation of the world? Because God knew I would believe. Do you know why he knew I would believe? Because I was chosen before the foundation of the world. You see how that works? It's this perfect circle. And it's this perfect paradise. Don't let people tell you that choice isn't involved. Don't let people tell you that election isn't involved. They're both involved. But God created this world. He knew he was going to create you and you were going to be chosen because he knew you would believe. And he wishes that none should perish. And he wishes that all would believe. Well, wait a minute, pastor. I want to be chosen. Well, then believe. Simply believe. Now, let me tell you what. You've got to believe in the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ because it's the blood that sanctifies us. It's the blood that makes us holy. It's the blood that lets us draw near to God. It's the blood that gets us, gives us life. And if you're here today and you say, well, I don't believe that stuff. You know, I don't believe that. That's, that's a bunch of hogwash. I mean, I don't believe it. Well, then you weren't chosen. But, well, wait a minute. I want to go to heaven. Well, get chosen. 
You want to be, you want to know you're chosen? Then choose. But if you never choose, you, you never were chosen. Makes a lot of sense, right? That's the facts, Jack. That's the word of God. And you either believe that, or I hate to say this, you're going to end up in hell. And you weren't chosen. You were never chosen. And if you're chosen, if you're here and you're chosen, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here because there might be somebody here who's not. But if you were chosen, who are you kept by? You're kept by the power of God, by his power, and not by your power. And if you're kept by the power of God because you were chosen, you think God's going to let, let you lose it? He's not going to let you lose it. He's not going to let you lose it because he's, to, to him you are of heavenly value. You are of great heavenly value. Go back to verses, verse number 7, I think is where we left off. Verse number 7 back in 1 Peter. You've got to read 6 to make that work. He says, of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you need be, uh, you have been grieved by various trials. But don't worry about being grieved. You know what? If you fail in a trial, God's still got your back. God still loves you. You're of heavenly value. He's not going to let you go. So don't, so don't get so upset with yourself. The devil's going to condemn you and knock you down and say, how in the world can you think you're saved when you do something like that? Say, I'm saved by the grace of God because I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Shut up, devil. <laughs> that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, if your faith endures and you make it to the, to the revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ and you're glorified in heaven... If your faith endures, it's not because you did anything to make it endure. It's because you were kept by the power of God. And why did God keep you by his power? Because you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And why did he choose you? Because he knew you would choose him. And you didn't do anything to earn that. Whom having not seen you love. That's absolutely amazing to me. Before I was saved, these people would come up and tell me, I love Jesus Christ. I, I said, you know, Man, those are weird people. Weird people. You know, I mean, how can you love? I mean, yeah, maybe Jesus did live. Maybe Jesus did die. Because I was taught that from the time I was a little child. But how, you, you say you love somebody. You're loving facts. You don't love someone. I used to drive by that seminary in New Orleans, and I said, man, look at all those nuts in there. You know, love, hey, they love Jesus. Until I got saved, and I ended up there. And I became one of those nuts. But you love Jesus even though you haven't seen him because you have a living hope. Jesus Christ is alive in you. And you know that you know he's alive in you. And you love a being. You love, you love God because you know God. And I'll tell you here today, if you don't love God, if you don't have this love for Jesus Christ even though you haven't seen him, then you're not saved. If you're just loving some facts and you're loving the idea of I'm going to make it to heaven one day, you're not saved. And I'm not telling you that to condemn you that. I'm telling you that to, so you'll get saved. We love Jesus. We sing about Jesus. 
We sing about Jesus and we love Jesus because he first loved us. And he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be his child. And having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice. Man, you, we should be rejoicing at the good news we have right here in this text. We should be shouting. Man, if I was preaching this to a, to a, 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 a black church, and I'm not saying that to be racial, man, they would be jumping up and down at this point. Come on, brother, I couldn't even talk. You guys are sitting there, oh, that's okay. And I don't want you to drum up any fake joy. You know, we, we don't want to do that. But, man, don't you have inexpressible joy in your heart to know that you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world? That nothing can take that away. No, how, no matter how hard this life gets, nothing can take that away. That you're his child, that he loves you, that you're of heavenly value to him, that you bless his soul just by being his child, that God is blessed because of you. That should excite us. Receiving the end of the faith, the salvation of, of your souls. That's what it's all about. We're going to receive the salvation of our souls. That's the reward. That's the, not only are you of heavenly value, you have a heavenly inheritance. And your heavenly inheritance is the crown of life. It's the salvation of your soul. And, and that doesn't just mean we get to live forever. That means we live forever. We, we're not monkeys. Pecking on keyboards. We're not monkeys driving cars through town. We're not monkeys going to work and getting up and making a paycheck. We have meaning. We have eternal meaning. We, we're, we're the children of God. And that should be great joy to us. It's the salvation of our soul. It's so valuable and we so much take it for granted. Boy, the prophets didn't take it for granted. They didn't take it for granted. You know what the prophets did? Look at the next verse. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searching carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. They, they were speaking these words that God was giving them, and they were writing these words, and there were these words about this Messiah who was going to die on this cross or die somehow. He was going to be a lamb slaughtered for our sins. They knew all of these things and they wonder what in the world is going on. And they searched diligently to find out what in the world is God saying. They wrote all of these great truths and I don't think they understood anything about what they were saying. They had faith in God and they had faith in the fact that God was going to have to save them. They had faith in the, they, they had knowledge that they were sinners. They understood that they were sinners and they had to be saved by grace and that the, there weren't enough blood and, uh, of animals and goats to, to cover their sins and they knew they needed help. But they didn't understand us and they searched diligently. How many prophets prophesied about Jesus Christ? Every single one of them. Every single one of them, if you search the scriptures, every single one of them prophesied about Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Messiah that would come and die for our sins. Job. Read the book of Job. You ever read the book of Job? Nobody reads it because it's, it's pretty depressing at times. It's great at the end, great at the beginning, but it, it's pretty depressing at times. But you know what Job says? Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I will stand and I will see him in the flesh. I know that. 
How did he know that? Did Job have a New Testament? No. He had the Spirit of God speak again to him. And so he knew that. And Job searched diligently in his heart, what's going on here? And then one day he met Jesus Christ. And he repented in dust and ashes. He knew about Jesus Christ. Daniel. Daniel. We've been studying Daniel on Wednesday night. Do you realize that Daniel predicted the exact day that Jesus would come into Jerusalem and be crucified? The exact day. You check out that tape if you don't believe that, and you can read it right in Scripture. It's not something I, that's a, not a theory I have. He predicted the exact day that Jesus would come into Jerusalem to die on the cross. Is that not absolutely amazing? Read the book of Isaiah. The Isaiah, Isaiah reads like one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It reads just like one of them. It's all about Jesus Christ. Read Psalm 22 that David wrote. That's a, that, is a, that is Jesus speaking from the cross. And he spoke through David. Now, if I wrote down that psalm, I would look at that and say, what did I write that for? People are gambling over my garments. My tongue is stuck to my mouth. People are mocking me and they're gazing up at me and they're laughing at me. I mean, why would I write something like that? I would have to say, Lord, what did I write that for? And so they searched and they searched. You know why they had to search and search? Because they weren't given what you and I were given. They weren't blessed like you and I are blessed. And we take this for granted. But they searched diligently. Look, look at verse number 12. To them, they searched, but to them it was revealed that not. It really was not revealed to them. They didn't figure it out themselves, but to us they were ministering. Do you understand what he's saying right there? I actually missed something. i got to go back and get. But, but you understand what he's saying right there? They looked and searched, but they didn't get it. You know why? Because they weren't writing for themselves. You know who they were writing for? They were writing for you and me. Well, you don't want to read Amos? God wrote it for you. You don't want to read Obadiah? God wrote it for you. Somebody texted me last week and asked me if I would go through, on Wednesday night, if I would go through Jeremiah and Lamentations. And I said, look, I've about lost everybody in Daniel. If I went through Jeremiah and Lamentations, it would be me and you, and that would be it. We would be the only ones left. But yet you go through Jeremiah and you go through Lamentations, and let me tell you what, you will find Jesus Christ in those books. And let me tell you why you'll find Jesus Christ. Go back, go back to the part I missed. Go back to verse number 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, look at this now, who was in them was indicating when he, the Spirit of Christ, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You know who it was in the Old Testament prophets? Who it was that was speaking to them? It was the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he testified of the things that he was going to suffer because he, that plan was laid before the foundation of the world because he chose you before the foundation of the world. He knew that you would sin and he knew that he would have to save you. And so he spoke this plan of salvation through the prophets. Now, let me get, address a few side issues from that verse. First of all, 
when somebody walks up to you, and I had somebody do this to me one night, said they were going to leave the church. They said, you teach that the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit are the same. I said, I certainly do. They said, if you don't change that, I'm leaving the church. I said, well, you don't have to leave the church because I'm not going to back off of that. Are there two spirits? There's one spirit. Be careful of a hyper-Trinitarian view that separates three individual gods because then you end up with three gods. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of the Father. The spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. They're all one spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who spoke through the prophets. We're told elsewhere in Scripture. But we're told right here in 1 Peter it was the spirit of Christ. Now let me tell you the other issue that this addresses. This idea that Christ began in Bethlehem. Next time a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door and they say, yeah, you know, Christ was created by God and he was born in Bethlehem and he didn't exist before Bethlehem. Oh, okay. Well, then how was he speaking to the prophets in the Old Testament? Let me show you this verse right here. He spoke to them because Christ is going forth. Micah says in chapter 5, verse 2, his going forth are for everlasting. Jesus has always existed. And his spirit has always existed. And so... To them it was, back to verse 12, to them it was revealed that, that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. The things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel. And they preached by the same spirit, by the Holy Spirit. That's not a different spirit. The spirit that preached through Peter is the same spirit that preached through David. It's the same spirit that preached through Amos and Job and all of the Old Testament prophets, John and everybody else, anything we have, it was spoken by the Spirit of Jesus Christ who was sent from heaven. Didn't Jesus say, I will send my Spirit to you, a helper, I will come to you, and I will send my Spirit to you, a helper? Things, and look at how he finishes this, things which angels desire to look into. Shame on us if this doesn't excite us because it excites the angels. It's interesting, a couple of interesting things about the Greek in this, and I don't try to give Greek lessons, but you, but you have to catch that verse phrase has some interesting things. First of all, that word to look into literally means to look, to stoop down, and look into with amazement. That's literally what it means. It's the word used in the Gospels when John and Peter came to the empty tomb and they stooped down and they looked and they were absolutely amazed. Do you know what the angels are doing right now? They're stooping down and looking and they're absolutely amazed. What amazes them? You know what amazes them? It amazes them that God created this world and he created this perfect world and man came along and they sinned and, they, and they, they're destroying this world. And then one day they stoop down and they look and there is God himself hanging on a cross for you and I. They were absolutely amazed. Why would he do that? Does he love them so much that he would do that? Yes, he loves us so much that he would do that. And then they stoop down and they watch me the first 40 years of my life. 
knowing that one day God was going to save me. And they stooped down and they were amazed. You're going to save him? Have you heard him curse your name? Have you seen the evil things that he's doing, the things that he's done? You're going to save him? And they were absolutely amazed. On August the 23rd, 1989, when Jesus Christ saved me, they were absolutely amazed. They're still amazed. They're amazed because they see the change that God's made in me. They're amazed. They look down and they say, look at him and look at where he was. Look what God's done with George Llewellyn. Look what he's done with John. That's even more amazing. And Randall, that's all over off the charts. And then, you know what? I think they're amazed that I'm keeping my salvation. They're amazed that I'm not losing it. They're amazed that God doesn't say, look, I saved you. I did this wonderful thing for you, and you're still messing up. I almost said a bad word. You're still messing up. (laughs) And why do you keep him saved? Because I chose him in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. That's why I keep him saved. And I keep him saved by my power. And I didn't save him because he was good looking. I didn't save him because he was certainly. I didn't save him because he was a great guy. I saved him by my abundant mercy. According to my abundant mercy. But one day, they're not going to have to stoop down to watch me or you. I'm going to be up there in glory. And they're going to be absolutely amazed. Amazed at what God's done in my life. The fact that he glorified me. And when I saw Jesus, I became just like him. Amazing. It amazes the angels. Does it amaze you? Does it amaze you? Oh, do we take this thing for granted? You know, I think for the most part, I don't think we have any clue about what God has done for us. John speaks of it in 1 John 2, 3, 12. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. That's amazing grace. That's absolutely amazing. And yet I don't think many of us even realize, have a clue what God's done for us. We need to be amazed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help us to see what the prophets saw. Lord, help us to see what the angels see now as they stoop down and look upon us, Lord, that we are of heavenly value. Lord, help us to understand your plan for us, your plan for glorification, Lord, and and, and just how much meaning our lives have, just how much meaning our actions have. Lord, we are not here by chance. We're not saved by chance. We're not saved by works. We're saved by your glorious grace and your abundant mercy. Father, help us to realize that deep down in our hearts. Lord, we want to love you. We want to love you with everything we have. And we, even then, Lord, we can't touch the amount of love that you have for us. Thank you for that love that you manifested when you gave us your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray.
Amen.